I'll say it for you, Josh. Amen. Last uh, year or so, I, I think, um, I've been saying this, I've been, every once in a while I'll mention it, um, but we are in a pandemic of despair. Um, we were in a pandemic of COVID, and then everything kind of, I don't know, worked itself out, but not really. <laughs> and uh, we, we've been left with kind of this blanket um, of something. Um, a lot of people feel it. I'm going to be brutally honest, okay? I'm always honest, but I'm not always brutally honest. Some of you disagree with that, but um, I personally have struggled over the last year or so um, with just the sense of I don't know. It's hard to define, okay? I'm calling it like this, you know, uh, blanket of, of uh, despair or depression or whatever. Personally, uh, I don't struggle with faith. I think God has given me that gift. I, I believe that the, the Bible talks about certain gifts of the Holy Spirit, and one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is faith, and I, I've been blessed with that. I, I have, don't have doubts about God. I don't really have doubts about his word. I don't have doubts about the promises. I don't have doubts about Jesus or my position with him. Um, but I do struggle sometimes with feelings of just joylessness. Anybody ever feel that way? Like, I don't know what's going on. I, I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to understand it, you know. And uh, a lot of times trying to understand it is difficult because it seems so hypocritical in, in some ways and in, in for me, you know, because I have the responsibility to stand before you and preach the word. And, uh, I, and I don't doubt anything that I'm preaching. I believe it wholeheartedly. I'm convinced of it completely. Um, but sometimes I feel a, a lack of joy in my, myself. And uh, it, it can be troubling. Um, because it seems like that's just not really, that's not really right. There should be a, a joy, right? And it should be, ministry should be joy, and preaching should be joy, and, and uh, you know, just the Christian life should be joy. And we have these expectations that this is how, you know, it should be, and, and uh, I'm perplexed, you know, and I'm confused about it a little bit. And so 2 Corinthians speaks to it just, you know, in a way. 2 Corinthians 4. Now, you have to understand 2 Corinthians is the book where we talked about a couple weeks ago. Paul outlines very in, in a lot of detail um, just how much he had been through. All the pains and persecutions and, and, and imprisonments and beatings and all the rest of it and, and all the things that he had gone through. But it also says, and, and I think I read this a couple weeks ago, uh, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us, that uh, the, the gospel and the Holy Spirit and the, the Christian life and uh, the wonderful uh, nature of Christ in a human being, okay, that, that mystery is uh, contained in some way, somehow, in a fragile, delicate human mind, body, soul, heart, right? 
We, we embody that. Um, and so we're, we're these fragile creatures, and it says we're hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. We're perplexed but not in despair. We're persecuted but we're not abandoned. We're struck down but not destroyed. And, you know, as you go through that list, um, it's interesting because I, I'll sometimes I'll try to rattle that off and I'll, I'll get them kind of mixed up and confused. I don't know if anybody else does that, but it's not unusual because the difference between these things is very small. Perplexed but not in despair. Perplexed means I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss. I'm confused. I don't know what, what's going on. I don't know what to do with it. Despair means I'm utterly at a loss. <laughs> you see the, the fractional difference between those two things? It's not huge. I'm at a loss, but I'm not utterly at a loss. And what that means is that there's, there's one subtle but very powerful and important difference, and the difference is faith. That I don't know what, what really is going on, but I know that God is in control. And the issue that we're burdened with, in, in some sense, you know, as a result of this whole pandemic that you know affected the whole world, is that uh, there, there, there's at least a few things that are going on. One is we, we have post-traumatic stress from this whole thing. We, we were under a great deal of stress. Some people more than others, but we all underwent a tremendous amount of stress, and stress doesn't just come and go and then we're done with it. It continues to reside in you. And then this is why we have this term called PTSDs, because that stress causes something to happen in you, and then it can be triggered and, and reacted or reenacted when certain things come into your life. They, it's like, where'd that come from? Well, it's because there's this stress that I haven't really dealt with. I haven't been able to get over. It's just kind of underlying in my life. And so something will happen, and then you'll, you'll react. Do you ever wonder why you, you react so strongly and so emotionally to certain things that are, shouldn't cause that kind of reaction? Anybody? Because you have these experiences that cause this kind of result. And then there's another issue, which is that we, we became isolated. We were, in some ways, forced into an isolation. And isolation is, I'm going to say it this way, okay, and, and I'm, not everybody's going to agree, and that's okay, but isolation is almost always negative. Okay? You talk about isolation versus solitude. Solitude can be positive. You can have a, a, a purposeful and meaningful solitude where it's restful, where it's, where it's uh, intentional. But isolation is almost always forced. It's almost always negative. It's almost always a result of trying to keep you away from something. And I believe that the, the issue with the isolation that we went through is that we're we're continuing to live through certain amounts of it, right? There's still some isolation that, that has become part of our psyche or become part of our culture, part of our understanding, our perception, that we're, we're still at a distance from... We have not reconnected the way that we need to. 
we, and I'm just kind of, like I said, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be brutally honest here, and we'll get past some of my brutally honest pondering, we hope. But the church made a mistake. And I'm saying this wholesale, I'm saying that as a whole, and we in particular made a mistake in the early days of COVID, we, we isolated each, from each other, from worship, from, wor- from gathering. And, and maybe we needed to do that for a week or two when we're trying to figure some stuff out. Maybe we had some, there should have been some other ways around this, some other ways to deal with it. But, but what we did as a whole was the church said, it is just as valid to watch church on TV as it is to gather with the church in a building, and that is not true, okay? And I know that there's health concern issues that we're all dealing with, and it was very stressful, and it was very confusing. We needed to address it in in a, a little bit different way because what we did was create a false perception in a lot of people's minds that there, there is no need to be in a church with other Christian people. I can just watch it on my phone, watch it on the computer, turn it on TV, and that's just fine. And I'm telling you that God did not make us that way. As Christian people, he designed us for relationships. He designed us to be connected And when we are not connected, we are missing something spiritually. And even as we're gathering, I mean, this is... All right. There's so many things that we we should deal with. Okay? The one is that church as entertainment is is false. You're, You're not here because... The message is interesting. I, I mean, you're not here because the worship is, is lively or because it's going to make you feel good, okay? And I, I say that with every intention that those things should happen. You, it should be enjoyable and it should be interesting and it should be important. It should touch something in your heart that says, I want to be there, but it has to be more than that, because if it's only that, then the only reason people come is is because it's entertainment value, and you can get entertainment anywhere else in this culture, better than what we can do here, okay? We We cannot compete with what Hollywood and whatever can produce. TikTok, you know your attention span? It's so short. Some of you stopped listening five minutes ago. (laughs) We want the quick little blurb on our Facebook or TikTok or whatever people are viewing. I don't even keep up anymore. I know that I finally have gotten old. I don't don't know what the kids' lingo is anymore. I, I can't, I don't, have no idea. I thought I would never get to that point, but here I am. There's other issues, though. The other issues are that even in a gathering like this, and man, I'm so encouraged. You just look around, and you're like, there's so much going on. You got all these people here, and you got the, 
all the kids, you see all the kids go out and wow, there's, there's life in this church. It's, it's mind-boggling. I mean, it really, to me, is just like, what is going on here? Because God is doing a wonderful thing. But we have to be very careful that we don't misinterpret a bunch of people for connection. Because you can come and go from this building today and never have spoken to anybody and not connected with a single person and feel just as isolated and disconnected as you ever did when you walked in. You, you, you and I, okay, we have to be intentional about when we do gather with our Christian brothers and sisters that we are actually spending some of that time intentionally talking to and connecting with somebody. It doesn't have to be everybody. Obviously, you can't connect with everybody, but you should be connecting with somebody. Amen? And so, the, uh, the Word gives us some answers. Uh, maybe not all the answers that we want. I mean, I, I wish that, I'm telling you, I've, I'm preparing this sermon this week, and I'm like, oh, man, i got to preach that sermon. I told them a couple weeks ago I was going to preach this series, and, and then this week I'm like, can I change my mind? Because what I'm doing is I'm preaching to myself. I, I'm trying to, to get God's word to sink into my heart, but really my job is to take God's word and pronounce it, communicate it somehow to your heart. And I guess here's the, the bottom line is that I cannot communicate it to you if I have not communicated it first to me. If God doesn't speak to my heart, I don't know how I can communicate it to you. He has been speaking to my heart. I think I had a breakthrough yesterday by the grace of God. That's, I mean, I'm glad it was yesterday and not this morning. <laughs> okay. But Psalm 42 is where we're going to spend our time. And I'm going to ask for your uh, forgiveness up front, but I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, don't don't go don't put it on the screen because the ESV may just confuse you when I'm reading this one and you're watching that one on the screen. Um, you're welcome to grab your Bible, whatever Bible you have, and follow along. It's going to read a little different, but I liked how the NIV read better. Okay, um, and so I'm I'm reading from the NIV. Let's stand as we read God's Word this morning. Psalm 42. As the deer pants. For streams of water, my, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 
Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where's your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Father, I thank you for your word today, Lord. Not maybe uh, an easy word, but there's some hope here, some encouragement here, some honesty. And I thank you for that, and I pray for your spirit to take your word like you, you said you would, that you said you always do, that your word would never go out without doing its work. It's your word, and it's your power, and it's your spirit. It's not, not anything of, of human effort, and I thank you for that. You, Jesus, said that you would be the teacher, that we shouldn't call anyone on earth teacher because you're our teacher. And so, Lord, I submit to your leadership, your teaching this morning. Lord, only communicate what you want. Anything else, please remove from my mouth, from anyone's ears. Um, say what you want to say. And help us to be receptive to that and only that. And we'll give you all the praise. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you a um, couple of quick stories here. Psalm 42 is historically uh, attributed to uh, the sons of Korah. Have you ever heard the term, the sons of Korah? Uh, there were uh, a group of um, Levites who were, I don't know, like Old Testament garage band, I guess, or something. Um, they made songs. They wrote psalms, uh, song lyrics, prayers, and all kinds of stuff. And it's, a, it's an interesting thing that they call themselves the sons of Korah. Uh, because that actually refers to an Old Testament uh, story back in the book of Numbers. Anybody remember Korah from the book of Numbers? No. The reason why is because nobody reads the book of Numbers because it's called the book of Numbers, which is a very unfortunate name for a very interesting book that does unfortunately have a few uninteresting parts. But Korah um, was a Levite, okay? And so a Levite is uh, of the tribe of Levi, and this is during the wilderness wandering. So Moses and the Israelites, all the tribes of Israel, wandering through uh, the desert for 40 years before they enter the promised land. And one of the tribes of Israel, one of the 12 tribes, was the tribe of Levi. And the Levites were all responsible for taking care of the temple, or the tabernacle, and the different services that were rendered there. Um, but only... One small family among the Levites were priests, okay? And that was of the direct lineage of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother, and only those who were related directly to Aaron were priests. All the other Levites were unable to be priests. Do you follow that? Not that hard. But it was a source of, of contention for Korah and some other of these Levites because they believed that they were just as worthy to be priests as anybody else, as Aaron's relatives. And they thought that 
uh, Aaron and Moses had somehow orchestrated this thing to where they were the ones who were in charge and that the Levites were given all these other menial tasks and they were offended by that. They, they had this sense that they were entitled to be priests. They were just as worthy as anyone else. And so they began to rebel or debate with Aaron and Moses about this. They were making a couple of mistakes. One is that they were functioning based on uh, a sense of entitlement, right? I, we deserve to, to be seen as, as highly regarded as you. How dare you? Take this for yourself. But they're also functioning out of a, a, a lack of faith because they don't believe, apparently, I, I think obviously, they don't believe that what Moses is hearing is directly from God and is God's will for this to be the way that it is. And so they rebel. They believe in God, but they don't believe that Moses is telling them exactly what God is saying. They believe in their right to function in the temple, but they don't really believe that it should be limited to the tasks that they have. So they go to Moses, they go to Aaron, and they say, we, we have the right to be priests just like you guys. And, and Moses says, okay, let's just let God sort this out. You, <laughs> the mean-spirited part of me agrees with this whole idea. Just let God sort it out, right? The first part of that phrase is kill, kill them all. <laughs> I apologize for that. <laughs> well, he just says, okay, guys, you, you want to you wanna know what God's really wanting to do here? Then let's, let's let God decide. And so Korah, uh, Dathan, Abiathar, a couple, few guys and their families, you guys stand over here. Everybody else, stand way far away. Numbers chapter 16, you can go read it for yourself. And what happens is that Korah and just a few families are judged in a very unusual and unique and memorable way. The ground opens up and swallows them whole into the grave and then closes up over them. Okay? It is, by all accounts, a reverse rapture. Basically, the rapture is, I go to heaven without dying. This is, I go, <laughs> okay, the other place without dying. And so you're like, okay, I don't know if you're catching this or not yet, but Korah is the guy that we're talking about. That's how he dies. I'm sorry, Korah. That's, it's a lovely name. <laughs> this is how he dies. His descendants, he does have descendants. He has grandkids and, and family members that continue on. His direct, immediate family, they go to the grave this way, but he has descendants. His descendants claim his name for their title, for their garage band, right? The sons of Korah. They, they announce it proudly. We are the sons of Korah. Did you think that, that doesn't make a lot of sense? Except for, I think, my interpretation is that they're, they're claiming that Korah was wrong in his sense, in his idea that, that he could not be significant unless he was a priest. And they believed and knew and understood that their significance 
had nothing to do with their ability to be priests, that they could add something to the life of the church or the life of worship, that they had a role to play. And here's, if I could just like boil this down to one clear point, it's basically this, that we all have a role to play that God has designed just for us, and we need to, to do it well, to be faithful in it, to be proud of it, to wear it boldly. This is, I may not be this person or that person or have this role or that opportunity, but the thing that God made me for is what he made me for, and he's going to use me the way that he wants to, and I'm okay with that. So the sons of Korah, they are writing scripture. They're contributing to your faith and my faith thousands of years later. And they write this, one of them, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. And here's what's going on. That's the broad, overarching story, but the, the particular story of this person is that you have a Levite who is a son of Korah. He's a descendant of Korah. He is somebody who served in the temple, but the Levites didn't all live in Jerusalem. They lived all over Israel. This guy lived up north. He lived somewhere in the Jordan. He lived near Mount Hermon, um, and so he's separate from the worship of the temple, but he goes there from time to time, and he leads processions of people. He actually takes field trips. Hey, guys, let's go down to the temple and worship. And he brings people there, and he remembers these times that he had been leading uh, uh, groups to temple worship. And it was awesome, and it was amazing, and we had such a great time. And now he's not able to do that. And we don't know why. He doesn't say why. He's being prevented. Somehow he's capable, but he is not allowed and he says, I long for that. I long. It's not just that I long to have a relationship with God and, and enjoy some fellowship with God in prayer. I long to be with God's people in God's place. And I can't be there. It was such a, a heart-sick desire of his. Okay, And here's what I believe. And I believe this absolutely. If the Holy Spirit is alive in you, if you are a Christian person who is saved and is redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit and you're going to heaven, then somewhere, sometime along the way, if even if you have been separated from the life of the church for whatever reason, it'll be on your heart and in your mind to want to get back to church. I, I feel the need to be with God's people, not just in my personal relationship with God alone, which is fantastic, and we all should have that, okay? And, and every week, I'm going to tell you that if you're not spending time in the Word and in prayer, then you're missing what Christianity is all about. But if you are not gathered with God's people, worshiping together with a group or a body of believers, you're also missing what Christianity is about. It's not one or the other. It is both. And there's something in the gathering that God made us for, that he designed us to be part of, that speaks to our spirit in a way that nothing else does. And we don't always do it well. 
Can I admit that? We don't always do it well. Not every sermon is a home run. Okay? Or maybe none of them are. And that's okay. Because it's not what it's really about. It's about us being together, opening God's word, being encouraged together, learning how to live a life of grace and forgiveness and encouragement and challenge and all those things together and pushing each other to move forward in our faith, right? It's, this, this is weirdly, I mean, I always, I, I find it strange, but weirdly, this is what God has designed for people to grow in their faith, to gather in places like this with people like this, doing things like this. We're singing songs, we're listening to somebody rattle on for ever and ever and ever. This is the life of spiritual growth. It's part of it. And I do believe, not only do believers have this longing for it, and so, you know, during the pandemic, people stayed away. People have, let's see, where are we at? Two and a half years later. I'm going to be brutally honest again. We have, and this is the good part, we have come through the pandemic as well, and I'm not patting our church on the back, but, I'm, but this is honest, okay? We have come through it as well as any church that I know of. That I know of. Anywhere. We, we have, by God's grace, been blessed with a strong, healthy church. And there are still people that haven't returned for one reason or another. And it may be they're still concerned about the spread of COVID or something else or or just got into people's minds. Groups of people like this is a dangerous place to be. Spiritually, psychologically, whatever the case may be, there's still this sense of I, I don't know if I should or I don't know if I want to gather with groups this large. I don't know. There are people that were offended by how we dealt with COVID. This church. Because we were too lax or we're too strong. I mean, we had people get offended on both sides. But we were equal opportunity as far as that goes. So, and I'm not making light of it. I, I really, honestly... It breaks my heart because I, I think that we have forfeited something really precious and important for something that is so temporary. The masks or the vaccines or the gathering or spacing or all that stuff, right? And we're willing to put our a part of our faith on the shelf in order to have this agenda over here that I think has very little to do with our spiritual life. So, okay, where are we at? Verse 2? He says in uh, verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? And here's what's going on is that what happens for some people in this 
it's a spiritual battle that's going on, and it's going on everywhere, and it's going on all the time, and I think that it is raging right now. There's a spiritual battle raging right now in our culture, in our community, perhaps in our church, maybe in your life, okay? And it doesn't seem like the normal spiritual battle because it's a, it's a battle of trying to fight with your own sense of despair. And why am I feeling this way? And I don't, I don't think I should feel this way. And I have no reason to feel this way. And, and what, maybe I need to change something. And, and there's all these questions that are going on. But part of it is when he says, my tears have been my food day and night, what that says is I'm speaking to myself negatively. I'm feeding and nurturing and nursing my own sense of sadness or anger or frustration or disappointment, whatever that is. You're, you're just feeding it and cycling back through and through and through and through and through, and you're convincing yourself of things that are really not true. You look at the reality of, of what we have, we have reason to rejoice. But then you look at how you feel and you say, why am I feeling this way? Part of it is, what are you cycling through your mind day and night? I think he understands. This is a confession. I was wrong. I was feeding on my own self-pity, and I needed to get out of that. And so verse 5, he says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed? So he says this, put your hope in God. I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I need to preach to myself that self-pity and all the negative talk to myself is not really going to ever get me out of that pit. I have to remember the promises of God, who God is, how he is, what he's done in my life. I have to go back and remember how he's acted in my life. Does anybody have a testimony how God has worked in your life? You go back to that point and say, I know that God was at work at that point in my life, and I saw how he worked, and I, there's no way I can explain that in any kind of material terms, right? Not human terms, not worldly terms. It's only God. Only God could have saved that marriage. Only God could have changed that heart. Only God could have got me out of that situation. I'm alive today because of something God did. I mean, I'm telling you physically, I'm on this earth right now and not dead because God did something that I couldn't do. Spared me of something. And many people have that testimony. And then we forget it because we're in the dark and we're feeling bad and we start to, oh, where's God? Oh, he's not, why isn't God doing this? Why isn't he? Trust. You saw him at work in the, in the light, then you got to trust him in the dark. It says, deep calls to deep, verse 7. And that, this is where he begins to, I think, come really full circle and understand that there is something that is so infinitely unapproachable in the human heart. Okay? What it means is that deep calls to deep is the abyss, fathomless, you, you, unsearchable. Okay? There's no bottom to it. That the deep part of your heart is not ever going to be met or fulfilled by anything in this world. There's nothing tangible in this world that can meet that deep part of your heart. Every human being has it. 
We call it a, a God-shaped void. It's a, it's a hole in your heart that you can't put money in there. You can't put drugs or alcohol in there. You can't put relationships in there. You can't put success or titles or anything that this world has to offer and ever come close to filling it. It disappears, and then you're left like, well, I thought if I just won the Super Bowl, then I would be happy, and, then, and what, what's, what's next? I guess I got to win another Super Bowl. Guess what? That's not going to do it either. If you don't have God in your life, you cannot win enough. You can't make enough. You can't succeed enough. You can't do anything enough. What you tend to do, I'm getting a little preacherly here, I guess, but what you tend to do is you try to distract yourself from it, medicate it, but we keep running after things. If I could just find that thing, I just haven't found it yet. No, it's, guess what? It's not out there. You could destroy your life looking for it. Or you could turn to the Lord and find that he fulfills what only he can fulfill in you because he made you for himself. It's the whole thing. He made you for himself. So deep calls to deep, and I find, I forget that. Because I keep listening to my enemies, which says, why am I so downcast? Why am I so disturbed? My enemies say, where's your God? And I keep listening to them, and I let them be louder than the truth of God's word. There's three enemies, okay? And there's more than that, but there's, there's at least three. One is sin. Do I have to spell this out? Sin is your enemy. It keeps you from God. It separates you from fellowship with God. Sin in and of itself will condemn you. It's destructive by itself. Nobody has to tell you that. Nobody has to, to condemn you for it. Nobody's judging you. God doesn't have to judge you. Sin itself is condemning it makes you feel bad. It might make you feel good for a moment, but it makes you feel bad for a long time. It's your enemy. And the sooner you understand that, all you have to do, and this is what Scripture tells us over and over, you call it for what it is. Sin is sin. It isn't, isn't it weird that churches, thousands of churches, denominations, big Groups of Christian people are afraid to call sin, sin. Like it's so offensive to people that, that we would say that sin is sin. Like we don't want anybody to feel bad. But guess what? We got to say that sin is sin in order to name it and then say that's wrong. That's not what God wants. I repent of that. I'm not going to justify it. I'm not going to rationalize it. I'm not going to pursue it. I'm going to turn from it. And as soon as I do, what happens is the power of the Holy Spirit causes me to be forgiven so that I can have a right relationship with God and I continue to recognize sin as sin and continue to push it away and move towards God. That's the, the whole process that he designed. And we're constantly trying to figure out a different way some other way around it. If I could just have my sin and have a relationship with God, somehow do those two things, and I could be perfectly happy in both my flesh and my spirit. Guess what? It doesn't work that way because it's constantly going to disturb and destroy you. It's your enemy. 
two other things. Um, one is, and I, I'm saying this, and I know that it's going to probably come off wrong, okay? It's just not going to come off correctly. You might not hear it correctly. So give me as much grace as you can to understand this. The second enemy, and this is the one that's named here, are people, sinners. And we, we don't like that terminology. We don't like to think about it that way because the New Testament tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against powers and principalities and evil forces in the heavenly realms. Our, so it's not people. Not, not ultimately, but Jesus says what? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Guess what he doesn't say? He doesn't say that they're not your enemies. And here's, here's what I'm saying is that there are people, this is why this is hard, is because we have such a hard time differentiating between people who are godly people who make mistakes and do wrong things, which we're all sinners in a way. We all make mistakes, do wrong things, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But that's different than a rebellious, wicked person who intentionally seeks to destroy other people's faith. And you may have an enemy to your faith in your life who mocks your faith, who mocks God, who blasphemes the name of Jesus. And maybe they don't do it to your face, but their agenda in your life is to discourage you from your faith. This Levite was in a position where he had people who were trying to actively discourage him from believing in God. I don't know if you have anybody like that in your life. I hope you don't. But you need to be realistic about who you're listening to, about the influences that people may have in your life and what they're pushing you towards. There are, there are people that Satan has recruited to use to get at you, to keep you from God. And if you don't know that, and if you don't realize that, if you don't recognize that, you might be susceptible to it. You might be listening to a whole bucket of lies and deception and evil that is causing you to doubt your faith, that you can point back and say, I know God was with me back here, but you know what? I haven't seen God at work really much in the last couple years, so maybe, I, maybe it was all just made up. Maybe, I, maybe it wasn't real. And you got people speaking in your ear, why don't you just do what you want to do? Why don't you be what you want to be? Who's to tell you? I'm, I'm saying that because I'm really concerned about mostly our young people especially in the high school. Our culture is filled with these influencers who are, their agenda is to destroy the next generation. They're not building up 
anything but an army of rebels against God. And we sit back and, what do you do? It's, it's frightening because we have the only answer that is ever going to help them to get out of, I mean, what I'm saying is what I see in our community is a lot of young people who are severely depressed. Everywhere I look, these young people are depressed. It's like the life has gone out of their eyes. And I'm, I don't know. I mean, I, this is where it's like perplexed. I'm not yet in despair, but I, I am perplexed. I don't know what to do other than to trust God for a, a solution. We need to be praying for our young people. We need to be praying for their parents and our teachers and our schools and our their peers who do know the Lord, we need to be praying that God would change something. He needs to change something. Well, here's what he says. You got enemies. You got sin. You got sinners. You got Satan. His agenda is to isolate keep you away from the body, keep you away from other people that could encourage you and help you. Somehow, his job is to frustrate believers, discourage believers so that they will not do what they've been called to do. And that may be you and me, feeling that sense of hopelessness, helplessness, they taunt us, where's your God? And it says in verse 11, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Listen, the difference between being kind of at a loss, being utterly at a loss, is hope. Is faith in God to be the answer. It's not a worldly solution. It's not a change of our, our culture. It is that I believe that God will win the war. I know that he will win the war. I'm thankful that I'm on the side of the one who's going to win the war. But I also know that there are battles that we're all fighting and that we can lose them. And I better be pulling on my boots and get going into that battle armed and ready because it's not a foregone conclusion that I'm going to win my battle or you are going to win your battle. I have to intentionally praise the Lord, seek His face, honor Him, go to Him, pray, praise, worship together with my family. And He's going to do a mighty work. But He's not going to do it with us sitting on the sidelines. You hear what I'm saying? we got to get involved intentionally to defeat despair. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is victorious. You, you paid the price. You did it all. You did all the work on the cross. But we're stuck 
in this world that is dark and it is confusing and it's difficult and we struggle and we're hearing so many different messages, Lord, we got to tune out the wrong messages, Lord. Help us to tune into your voice and respond to that voice with praise and worship, with interceding prayers, Lord, for those around us that, that are struggling. If we're not struggling, praise the Lord. Help us to intercede for those that are. If we're not lacking in faith, help us to, to add our faith to somebody who needs it. But God, I pray that you would raise up your people. That you would do a work that only you can do. Lord, I don't even know what else to pray. Would you come and meet with us? Would you come and just help us to know the next step? For your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to generally open up you know, our invitation to the altar. I don't know what the Lord may put on your heart. If you're like me, then you have a heart for people who are in danger. I mean, they are in danger. And maybe, maybe you're fine, but you need to come and just lay down on the altar, face down, to say, God, would you please help so-and-so? I'm lifting up I'm lifting up the whole high school. I'm lifting up the junior high. I'm lifting up a particular student. If that's you this morning, I'm just going to invite you. You may need to just come for yourself, but uh, let the Lord call you this morning. Amen? Let's stand and sing.